0: What's up, everybody, and welcome to another Boardroom Out of Office podcast. My name is Rich Kleiman, and I'm here, as always, with Gianni. What's up, brother? What's up, my G? So we've had, this is our 29th show, G, and we've had 28 of some of the more successful minds in sports and business and technology. Some of them have been my friends. But no guest is as special to me, and at parts of my life didn't even know it, then Mark Jackson. Talk to me.
1: Yeah. And before we even bring Mark up, man, anyone who knows Rich should definitely know how big of a Mark Jackson fan you are. And so in your own words, like beyond basketball, like why is this person so important to you?
0: All right. Well, I'm going to explain that to you in a second, but let's bring him up. So without further ado, welcome uh, future Hall of Famer, Mr. Mark Jackson.
1: Thanks for having me, man.
0: Man, thank you, bro. You know, so you already know Gianni, the thing is is like like I said in my intro, half my life he didn't know, but the last like 10 years or whatever, maybe a little less, all I've done is remind him every time I talk to him <laughs> about what a big fan I was. But I'll I'll explain to you in short and then Mark in here too. But I grew up in New York City, right? So I watched this man play somehow some way I watched him play when he was in high school at Bishop Lachlan. He was—I know more about his life than he may know, right? He was—he <laughs> was born in Brooklyn. Then he moved to Queens. He went to Bishop Lachlan. He was born April first, April Fool's Day. See, this is the crazy shit I was on as a kid. <laughs> and after he went to Bishop Lachlan, he went to St. John's, which is in New York City as well. So I watched him religiously at St. John's, and then he gets drafted by the New York Knicks, bro. Right? So. All that to that point, just solidified the fact this was my favorite player in the league, but it got deeper than that, but before we get to that, I want to ask you, mark I've talked to a lot of people, and at certain points in their childhood, there's that moment where they like kind of flip the switch and I know that your family you had a very firm foundation at home and you were very close with your family, and that's important when you go for it but do you remember a time in your childhood where you kind of just made that concerted effort where like, I was going to try to make it. I want to play basketball at the highest level.
1: That's a great question. And I think my answer is not your normal answer because um, I had no business dreaming about playing on the highest level. When I started, we moved from Brooklyn to Queens, probably at seven, six, seven years old. And I went to try out with a team with my, I have two older brothers and I had a younger brother, but uh, my brother just uh, two years older than me. I went to try out with a team with him, and his group was the youngest group. I wasn't old enough to be on that team, but I just played it like I was that age. make a long story short, I was the last cut, and I made that team. They didn't figure out until three years later, when I'm still on that team, that I actually was too young to be on it. Um, I, I scored one point the entire season which is crazy. I can remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, Made a free throw and uh, was excited as ever. So I didn't have the dreams of being a professional basketball player. I just had to – I knew I loved the game. Um, And probably was at 11 years old, four years removed from that season of scoring one point, I became the man on that team and knew that I could do something. At 11 years old, I was – I humbly submit a pretty good player so then the dream started but I, I never really had the dream of you know being a big time player until further on when it became you know a little bit more realistic that i had an opportunity to play college ball and high school ball and then uh, in college you know dreaming about being a pro
0: so my pod is listed in the podcast section under business so The reason is because originally it was a sports podcast and every time I had somebody on, I really kind of connected everything about sports and how it related to life and to business. And, you know, as I thought about our conversation beyond how special it was, and Gianni, don't worry, I'm going to get back to some of the more prolific reasons why Mark touched my life as a kid. But, um, you know, I think two things that come to mind with you is one, leadership, and then two you know, at least from my vantage point, you dealt with a lot, like throughout your career, throughout your life, um, whether it was loss or whatever it was. Um, From a leadership perspective, were you a leader as a kid? Were your parents, like, did you look at your father as a leader? And was that a quality that you felt like was important to carry with you in life?
1: Um, I was always a leader. I was gifted as a leader, even at an early age. I was never, never a guy that was a follower, and I think it worked into well I know it worked into my advantage um, watching people in my neighborhood, whether it be you know standing on the corner drinking a brew, smoking on the sideline, shooting dice, just wasting their day away, you know not be not being productive members of society like they should be uh, not 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 graduating from high school or college. I watched guys that was incredible on the playgrounds that had every right to become a pro. They didn't have a chance. So right away I realized if I wanna make it, not just as a basketball player, but I wanna make it in life, I gotta begin to you know, push some of these things and steal these things that these guys are not doing in my own life and make a determination determination that uh, I'm not gonna get signed back. So I took my own path and watching my dad was a was a great way of putting it. A man that was married to my mom for 40 years a man that was a, a, a leader, provided, sacrificed and instilled in us principles that, you know, made me, a, uh, made me become a, a, a great husband or a great father, a great friend or a great brother. But um, so watching him as a leader and some may not say leadership, but I watched him as a guy just waking up every single day, going to his transit authority job for my entire life. I watched him lead he didn't want to wake up you want to get on a couple of buses and a couple of trains every single day but it was a it was what leaders do in order to provide it and make a way
0: yeah no that's you know i think leadership in general i think is something just like that entrepreneurial mindset that is born within you i think you can practice leadership skills but to be able to talk to like somebody that is your peer And talk and advocate for yourself and instill your will in the situation I do think is something that like with every group of friends you see it as a kid that you're born with Um, I, I know you took that to St. John's you were always considered like you know at least where I'm from in New York there was like that New York City point guard right which meant that like you were you talked on the court and you led your team and you got everybody involved and you had a certain swagger about you. You get drafted by the Knicks and Gianni, this is when things for me as obviously as a kid, right? Like watching him in high school and college was cool. But when he got to the Knicks, you know, he was drafted with the uh, 18th pick. And at that moment, I think there was some emotional connection for me. I came from a place in my childhood that was just like a volatile, abusive childhood, right? Not physically, but the you know, for another pod, but it was that kind of environment. And I always wanted an escape. Escape for me was always sports, basketball, whatever. I remember watching the draft and you were like, it was different, right? Like you look at players now, if they don't get drafted by their hometown, it is what it is, you know, it happens. But there was this story that was happening on television that night, which was that the Knicks were drafting 18th and Mark wasn't getting drafted And as the picks were going, it was getting closer and closer. And the entire stands at the felt forum or somewhere, wherever it was at the garden was electric. And I'm watching a TV and I'm like on the edge of my seat, like watching a movie as a kid. And as soon as he got drafted by the Knicks, the emotion, I've never watched a draft like this still to this day. Mark, why was that? Like, was it as emotional for you as it looked, as it felt? Do you understand why, as a kid, like, I got, like, that moment was crazy, no?
1: <laughs> no, it absolutely was. I should have won an Oscar because uh, <laughs> the same way you were feeling, I was feeling. I just, there was a camera in my face, so I had no choice but to play it off. And then not knowing whether I was going to be drafted by them, you got to play it off like, you know, it didn't matter to me. When, when it, it totally mattered, and it meant everything. Uh, it was the moment I dreamt of. You know, every day, you know, whether it be shoveling snow off the O'Connell Park uh, ground to, to create a space where we could play pickup, to going to high school, to playing CYO at St. Pascal's in Queens, it was the moment that I dreamt of. So I'm sitting there believing that I should have been drafted before I got to the 18th anywhere near it. I humbly submit again and promised that I would be. But I'm sitting there like, man, this is working out all right. Then all of a sudden you see the teams that picked before the Knicks, and I'm like, I'm a city kid, please don't put me in the middle of nowhere. And then all of a sudden it comes to the next pick, and the crowd is who is anticipating this moment, it's right there. And they're thinking, don't blow it, don't blow it. And I'm sitting there listening to them shit and I gotta sit there being cool. And I'm I wanna cry, I wanna wanna, you know, I don't know what I you know, I know what what I'm thinking, but it was a it was a moment where you wasn't the only one thinking that way, and the guy that was being highlighted was certainly thinking that way. And then they hit him call my voice. My name was, um, you know, something I'll never forget. So
0: there's like, and, and I know I'm not alone in it because there is like a, a handful of my peers and there's more than this, but like, I have a group of my friends that, you know, through the years I've, I've, have talked about like that moment, right? 87, 88, 89. And if that was a moment that impacted you as a sports fan, you were, you were locked on Mark Jackson, right? And it was then where it felt like to me where narratives started to come into play. And I started paying attention to it a bit because, and I didn't know what I was paying attention to, right? Cause I didn't know what like the fucking narrative was or why sports media or journalists could create something. But I saw you succeeding at the highest level, your rookie year, your second year, you make an all-star game. And then all of a sudden, at least from, again, my vantage point, it looked like there was this turn on who you were, who you were as a person, who you were as a basketball player. And there was like visceral reaction at times to you at the garden. And again, as a kid, right? So I'm trying to escape this feeling that I feel at home. And I'm watching you now from the draft, you're on top of the world. And now I'm like, Holy, like what are they doing to this guy? Like they're booing the shit out of him. And again, like you, you know, you do wear your emotions in some ways on your sleeve in every way. Like whether you're happy, whether you're laughing. Um did you feel like that moment in your life because in business again, like as a young kid, you get challenged. Like that could have broke you, man. And and was it as bad as it seemed to me? That that kind of change from the way that New Yorkers felt, and your own teammates felt, or your coaches.
1: Well, it was bad, and I, one thing I will disagree it couldn't it couldn't break me, and I I say that because what was instilled in me watching my dad it didn't break him, you know, going you know forty years to a job that he didn't enjoy, but he did it for a reason, so it didn't break him. Um, it wasn't gonna break me watching my mom and dad be married for forty years, um, watching my mom lose her husband, you know after all she ever knew was him, and then having lived 25 years later by herself sleeping in the bed, all she knew was sleeping in bed with him. Didn't break her. That wasn't going to break me. Um, But it was something that, as a kid growing up in New York City, that never understood and never witnessed the business side of professional sports. For the first time in my life, I was learning about it, and not only learn, learning about it, but for, I, I was one of the main characters in it. So I participated in recognizing the business side was real. Uh, it was disappointing without a doubt, but I, I made a determination that um, I was still gonna do my job and I was still gonna work my tail off. And this was not gonna be the end of the the, the book as far as you know, my story uh, w- was concerned. And I took pride in that. And some great people uh, played a key role of, Guiding me, encouraging me, inspiring me, motivating me, keeping me on point. And um, I'm so glad that, that 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 wasn't the end of the story, but it was certainly a challenging time and a disappointing time. But I think it makes to 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 what makes all great stories a little bit of a, a little bit of a throwing in something that was unexpected, unexpected twist that challenges, because if if you just see me being rookie of the year being an all-star, high five Pat Ewing, or Charles Oakley, or Rick Pitino or Pat Riley, or Jeff Van Gundy, then you'd be like, okay, this is this is awesome. You gotta be able to see what I'm made of when I go through adversity.
0: When so speaking of Pat Riley, coming out of that like down period, it was your fifth year and Pat Riley took over. Um, Pat Riley's like one of those transcendent leaders as well, where he could run a fortune 500 company, maybe not now, but he could run a fortune 500 company. Um, he could run anything, right? He could lead a group of men, women um, in into combat. Um, did you see like light and night and day when he took over the Knicks and start saying like, Hey, okay, I know it's a business, but being that this is a business, this is a different kind of level of professionalism of thought, of attention to detail, of how to lead people?
1: Well, I had saw it early on in my first years with Hall of Fame coach Rick Patino. So the problem was the gap between Coach Patino and Coach Riley. With all due respect to everybody else, it just wasn't the same. Coach Riley came uh, when it was a losing mentality, um, adversity, and he basically preached professionalism, hard work, uh, no nonsense, getting after it, competing at a high level, and um, just bring your heart at every single day. And he was an incredible teacher, an incredible, you know, incredible motivator. Um, and w- what he decided was, you know, because I was coming off a, uh, a year where I was booed, a year where I was benched, and basically he, he fulfilled his promise. He said, look, every job is open. We knew it. Other than Pat Ewan, we were fighting for jobs, and that's all I wanted. Let the best guy win the job. And um, it was a great way for me to get back to where I wanted to be and to be part of something special. We had a team that was more than capable of winning it all. Ran into the likes of, you know, you know Michael Jordan. We all know his story. And that's, you know, everybody, a lot of guys have that testimony of not winning a championship because of Jordan. But uh, we, we, we were on track to doing just that. And it was a proud time in New York City.
0: Man. Gianni, it was a poppin' time in New York City, man.
1: Right, late 80s, early 90s. You got New Jack Swing, Def Jam. It was unbelievable, unbelievable. Across the board, it was unbelievable.
0: So, to my point about like some of ups and downs in, in life and, and in your profession, and again, to my goddamn heartbreak, is right when shit is rocking with Pat Riley, you get traded to the Clippers. Bro, I remember that like the way my parents talk about Kennedy. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I could tell you you where I was, who I was with. Were you numb to the business um, because of what had happened earlier, or were you pretty devastated at that point?
1: I was devastated because I can remember clear as day, Pat Riley one day in the middle of uh, one of the team meetings, uh, looking and saying, you know, one of the early meetings, he said there's two guys that's gonna be New York Nick Life is in this in this locker room right now. That's Pat Ewan and Mark Jackson. He said, the rest of you, I, I can't make any promises to you, but those two guys are gonna be here for a long time. So I'm thinking, and it's not that he lied. At that moment he was telling his truth and the truth. But uh when we lost in the playoffs, I guess the idea was thinking as an organization, uh they needed a scoring power forward alongside of Pat Ewing and uh, Charles Smith, who was playing with the Clippers at the time, uh, was a guy that certainly was capable of scoring, uh, smooth offensive weapon. I can see the, you know, the idea of putting him alongside of Pat Ewing, how it can be a a dynamic tandem as a center power forward. And then you add in Doc Rivers. So you're getting a quality point guard in exchange. Uh, The trade was made. I was disappointed. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, this ain't gonna work. With all due respect, we had something special and I thought if you stayed on track and Pat Riley has admitted it to me since then that, you know, one of the biggest regrets he has is making that trade because he believes that we could have won it all. And he wasn't gonna get any argument out of me when he told me that. <laughs> but but uh, we, we, we were a loaded team and I was disappointed that we didn't have a, an opportunity to, because I truly believe we would have won it all uh, moving forward.
0: By the way he's not, you're not the only one he admitted it to, because you know the first time I met him, I went right smack at that. <laughs> I didn't even care. I'm like, yo, how you trade Mark Jackson, man we were <laughs> we were rocking, <laughs> so you move on to the clippers. I'll tell you for me at that point, like i was f I think I was fourteen years old. And you couldn't watch Clipper games. Either. I mean, no one was watching Clipper games at that point, And there was no national TV opportunity to see it. So I used to sneak out my house at 14 <laughs> and go to this bar on 83rd and 3rd by myself and convince the guy to put the Clippers game over just my booth. I watched when you went to, um, obviously, the Pacers. And, you know, let me let me ask you, as like, you know, you, in my opinion, you were incredible. Um in L.A., like, bias, I think you should have made the All-Star Game your first year. We've talked about it. You went to Indiana, and I thought you guys were building something special. You get traded. You get traded back to Indiana. And before we talk about, like, some of those dominant Indiana teams, where was your head at at that point in your career? Because you are succeeding everywhere you go, but you are moving. And, like, to me, it's like, yo, I won, all, I won Rookie of the Year. I was an All-Star. And I know just from being so close to the league now – how that impacts some people, you know, how was that for you mentally in the middle of your career getting moved around like that?
1: I was always a guy that, you know, I was still at the core of me, that kid at seven years old that scored one point. So I'm thinking I'm winning, you know, I'm, I'm winning. I'm, I'm fulfilling a dream and in, in fulfilling that dream, I'm playing with some of the best players in the history of this game I'm playing for some 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 great teams, and I'm having a real chance of experience experiencing not just individual success but team success. so I was just I was excited to be part of it. Um, so it was never any stress as far as I was concerned. It was always like, "Wow, can you believe that you know this is being pulled off and it's impacting my entire family and my my entire you know circle.
0: So um, there's some shit. Gianni, when like, if you're like a big fan of somebody as an athlete, who are who are your favorite players growing up in the NBA? Oh, I know one of them, but who is name two?
1: First, it was AI Allen Iverson, and then it was Steve Nash. Gianni, first of all, Gianni, when you say AI, you don't have to say Allen Iverson. We we understand. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So
0: everybody knows certain things about like their idol or their favorite player's career. You know, at my, like, height when I was in my, like, early teenage years, I remember you became a born-again Christian. And I'm a Jewish kid from New York City. And I'm playing at 76 in Riverside Park. I go by, like, the National. It was the newspaper at the time. And and it was, like, this new sports publication. I'm reading it on the way home. And I was like, yo, Mom, I want to – let me try to be – I want to be a born-again Christian. I want to be a born-again Christian. (laughs) I am and I want and, wa- <laughs> and I and I want to get the uh, uh, Air Revolutions because those were your kicks. I said it like in the same breath, right? <laughs> so I know religion and also family were big for you. So you talked about obviously like being appreciative of getting there, but it takes a lot of, of a fa- it takes a foundation to maintain that mental strength and that feeling. How big have family and religion and how big were they throughout your career? Um, just in general.
1: Well, it's, it's the story of my life. It's important, um, whether it be my mom and dad, my brothers and sister, uh, whether it be my, my, my wife and my kids. You know, it's, 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 it's been, you know, the story of my life. And, and as far as my religion, uh, as my relationship, I'd say, my relationship with Christ has been essential. Uh, when I made that decision, uh, it, it was important to me to be somebody that folks can look at. And 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 respect and appreciate and be proud of how I conducted myself. Uh you talking about the, the way it impacted you. I didn't know you before, but I look at things how I conduct my business today. Like you're you're not the only rich climber. There's another kid out there, there's another grown man out there that's watching me today, the way you watch me then, and wondering why I'm not tripping and why I'm not going off and how can I do this when when I've been wronged or whatever whatever the case may be they're always watching so it's important to me to go about my daily grind whether it be as a coach as a father as a man as a as a, as a brother whatever as a friend whatever it may be uh to to impact that person that's watching that maybe I know and maybe I don't know but I look forward to one day hearing their testimony about how how, how it inspired them how I conducted myself
0: yeah man that's I mean... It's incredible because when you think about uh like purpose, right? Or I think some athletes and everybody start to question like, yo, man, what's something worth at times? And what you you can have the perspective to understand that like that is what life's about, right? Like your strength at that time allowed me to have something to continue to root for, right? I you know, had you broken, <laughs> I wouldn't have had the Clippers and you know the Pacers and that's a metaphor but I understand exactly what you mean um the Pacers era really is when I like went through a weird time where I just switched legions like I'm a lifelong Knicks fan and I'm able to juggle like Clippers and Knicks uh I'm able to juggle the Nuggets when you were there for a minute but the Pacers and Knicks were rivals you're playing for the Pacers and and like I may be telling some people, like depending on who it is, like, yeah, of course I'm a Knicks fan. But like the people that know know I switched sides during that other time. Um, was that the best time of your life in the NBA? That whole kind of era in Indiana?
1: I think a combination. Being with the Knicks my first two years and then when we went to the Eastern Conference Finals my fifth year, uh was a great time. And then being in in, in Indiana with those great teams, uh, I think the two times that really uh, had every right feeling that we had a chance to win it all and be a championship team. So I would say both of those times were clearly uh, my favorites as a player.
0: Um, the 98 team is like, you know, and I want to do a pod one day. Uh, and I know Kevin wanted to do this too. We've talked about this a lot, him and Eddie. So is Kevin's co-host where we should talk about like in any sport, the teams that never won or who, you know, lost in the Super Bowl or lost in the conference finals or the NBA championship that really pound for pound are some of the best teams in the history of their sport. The 98 Pacers were really probably one of those teams, right? Do you agree with that?
1: I agree that the 98 Pacers and the 2000 Pacers that lost to, you know, the late great Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal, the late-led late team, uh, was, was more than capable of being a championship team. So I, I believe that those teams were great, great teams.
0: Yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah, that's right. The 2000 team when you got Jalen Rose and Mullen went to the bench, that team too. When you went back to the Knicks towards the end of your career, was it not the same? Didn't feel the same?
1: No, it did feel the same. Uh, and, and I really believe that when you look at that team, we had the capability of winning it all also. Now, people may think I'm crazy, but I believe that because, you know, we lose to Toronto um, in the in the playoffs. And – Marcus be our starting center, unfortunately, his sister, I believe, was held hostage by, long story, whatever, her ex-boyfriend or her boyfriend or whatever. So he didn't play in the game. He went to basically go back to his house to make sure everything was fine. Um, but we played the game without our starting legit center, Larry Johnson, who I was, you know, looking forward to playing with. I never got a chance to play with him because physically he wasn't, uh, in, in you know, condition-wise, and his body had. Beat him up to the point where he couldn't play. But uh, you think about the Spreewell and Alan Houston, and we were a pretty talented team. And I, th- I think not having Marcus hurt us, um, but it was a lot of fun. I can remember the call in Toronto from Jeff Van Gundy. I'm in my house in Toronto at the time. And he says, I have a chance to bring you back to New York, you know, because he was a friend. He said, well, what, What's your thoughts? You you want want us to support the trigger or not? I'm like, Are you kidding me? <laughs> it was it was it was a fun time for me to to come back to New York City,
0: so the remember I said I remember the day like it was yesterday when they traded you to the Clippers um well, at that point, I was celebrating i was uh thirteen fourteen this time when I found out you came back to the Knicks, I was in my early 20s, and I, I went wild that night. <laughs> like, I remember thinking to myself, like, man, I definitely turned up that night because that was, like, as part of my emotional journey in life, man, you know, I don't need to sound corny and shit because Mark and I have become close friends, but, like, that was really something that always was a distraction. It was a coping mechanism for me. Like, I was really a fan of your game, but I was also, like, you know, that's where I could escape and that's where I could go and kind of just like check my mind out of things that I was dealing with. Um, After that, you know, you kept playing on other teams where it wasn't the same. Uh, It happens to a lot of people in their career. I was happy about it because you kept playing. What was your motivation at that point? Was it just the love of the game?
1: Love of the game. And I thought I was uh, good enough. Again, I humbly submit to, to still be in the league. So I was fine with, you know, I, I didn't want to, retire and still have something in the tank. Just like in life, when when I close my eyes and take my last breath, I want my light to be on beaming, on the empty, sitting on that E with the light bright, saying there was nothing left uh, to do. And I, I felt that as a basketball player player and I feel that as a human being, it's important to maximize every single thing you have and to fulfill your purpose. And at the end of the day, sit back and say, you know, I have no regrets.
0: Yep, you know, I was thinking about when you ended your career. I I wanted you to get in the Hall of Fame right away, right? And we'll talk. We don't even need to get into that. It's kind of I, I hate talking about that, but I remember thinking to myself because the last few years, because you didn't play as much and you came off the bench, your scoring average came down, which took your career average down. But you also, for most of your career, were like the best at what your role was. And what I think is fucked up about the process is what they valued then was certain type of point guards when Gary Payton came starting scoring 20 a game or Tim Hardaway or Kevin Johnson that was different but when you were playing Mo Cheeks similarly like you did play the best version of your game you just weren't supposed to score so when you ended your career you're looking at your stats and you're number 2 all time in assists at the, at that point um and obviously you were like at 10 points a game but I don't think the fact that you were valued for that while you played, but then post-career, you really get kind of like hurt by that when it comes to people looking at your stats, right? Because the real testament of your career is not in your stats. I mean, your assist numbers are off the charts. Your games played, uh, your steals are even in a really, you know, probably top 30 or 40. But do you feel like your stats are just going to ultimately screw you when it comes to the Hall of Fame, or do you think it's bigger than that?
1: I don't, I don't really pay attention to it. You know, again, if I thought about that, I'd drive myself crazy. That seven-year-old kid that scored one point the entire season is, has finished a 17-year career, second all-time in the history of professional basketball in assists, ahead of the guy that he believes epitomized the point guard position in Magic Johnson. I'm winning. <laughs> to even be in the discussion. you telling me that I'm on a list with, you know, John Stockton and Magic Johnson, Isaiah Thomas and Oscar Robinson and, you know, Jason Kidd and Steve Nash and, you know, uh, the, the greats that have ever played this game. You, you're, you're telling me and you want me to be upset about it? I, I am absolutely blown away that, that God has blessed me with the opportunity to to have the, the career and the life that I'm living. Um, so there's no side of me that, that's even caught up in that to be discussed with, with the greats somewhere in the middle of it is uh is a win for me.
0: See, I I believe you. I believe you. And I knew that again, you know, I, I, I but I asked because obviously, you know, the fan in me, even at 44 years old, um, I feel that way. And, and I have the same conversation with Kevin and to a different degree. I mean, crazy. Like when that nonsense happened two weeks ago with that game where he had to play for a short period of time and, Then come out beyond the frustration of the evening, et cetera, and him not being able to play. I'm sitting there saying to him like, yo, when we all calmed down, I was like, man, let's I'm about to wipe that stat line off. I got to call the NBA and get that stat line off. That That messed up your like 20 point game streak to start the season. And he's like, man, chill, bro. It's good. Like, like I just wanted to hoop, you know, and I do think that there is a lot of players that do care whatever i think that's normal too but there are people that do put it you know in perspective and um i did know that was going to be your answer um right after your career early after your career you had a chance to coach the knicks it fell through it was like all part of our movie bro mark and we'll still you know it was all part of our movie right it was going to be like right after his career he gets to coach the knicks Then it took a few years to coach and you were broadcasting. Did you want to broadcast after your career? Was that like, did you even imagine that would have been something you were doing when, especially right after you were playing?
1: As a kid, uh, I was one of those weird kids that loved the game of basketball. And I had a dream, you know, when I was old enough to dream, I had a dream of one day being uh, a member of the New York Knicks. uh, Because my favorite player growing up before Magic Johnson, as a kid, it was Earl of Pearl Monroe. So I wore number 15 my entire life until I got to high school when an older player on the team was wearing number 15 and I couldn't wear it. But I-, I dreamt of being Earl of Pearl Monroe, so playing for the Knicks. I dreamt of being Red Holzman coaching the Knicks. And at the same time, I dreamt of being Marv announcing for the Knicks. So I'd sit in the corner and basically envis- envision being all three of those guys. So it was a crazy dream of mine. And again, the thing, I fulfilled each one of those dreams um so i did i did have an idea of being a coach and i wanted to be an announcer and obviously you know first goal for me was was being a a a professional basketball player
0: when you put it that way you really are winning like those are your goals and those are your dreams and you you know i don't know if it was as conscious as maybe some young entrepreneur who like writes it on a chalkboard or some athletes that like put it behind their bed but you know you set out and instilled your will throughout life to get in all of those different places um when you finally got the opportunity to coach the warriors um i was excited as you would imagine but i also was like all right cool let me take a look at this roster right the warriors you know they haven't really won very much uh I see, like you know, Steph is incredible. He looks special, but he's been hurt a lot. They Monte uh, Ellis at the time, not what what? Yeah, Monte Ellis at the time. Um, so when you take that job, did it? Did you get that? Like, even though it wasn't the Knicks, did you get that? Like, all right, cool. Ho- holy shit, I'm coaching an NBA team right now. Madrid, this dream came true.
1: To me, it's important to take a moment and 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 celebrate. Uh, you're not getting caught up in it, but you put this 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 is. Not just one day that this happened. This is, you know, years and years and years of hard work, dedication, determination, people that have instilled so much in me. This is a moment to sit back and and even even, even God, when he created Derby, he said, This is good. He took a moment to be like, yeah, this, this, this is good. So so when I when I got recognized and became a head coach, I certainly took a moment and said, This is this is good. Now there's work to be done. There's a team that made the playoffs one time in 19 years prior to me getting there. Okay, it's not just going to take me. It's going to take putting a staff together. It's going to take uh, uh, having the players buy in and understand it because I'm not just a – I don't want them to think I'm just a coach coming in just like the last coach and the last coach and the last coach that made promises that things were going to change and it doesn't. So I took the time and spent time with the players, had discussions. We put put the time in as far as working and fortunately was able to turn things around. Um with, with, the, with, the, with the help of some great players, but more importantly, some great guys.
0: You know, when you got that job, I remember the draft, you drafted Clay Thompson. Um, and, I, and my life, you know, I'm giving like my career, my career arc in the four of yours. <laughs> my life at that point, I started to really have my like, sh- my thing a little bit. I was working at Rock Nation. And I remember I ordered one night a Warriors sweatshirt like some coach's sweatshirt, right? And on the back, put like 13 Jackson." And at that point, wifey stepped in and said, "Yo, come on now, that's, she, that's
1: she. <laughs> enough is enough." Nah, she was
0: like, "Yo, come on, man, enough is enough." Um, all right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna purposely um, skate through like the details of the Warriors just because, you know. Not only have I spoke about it, I interviewed Bob Myers once. I talked about it. I mean, I talk about it enough where people know at this point how much, um, you know, I care about you. Now that we've gotten to be close friends too, um, I think you had an incredible, successful run in the Bay. Like, there's no other way to put it. Um, by the time you left, the team was a contender. Uh, their star players were playing to the best of their capabilities at that time in their career. That was the best version of them at their time, at that time in their career. The crowd was rocking and it it ends, that happens. It happens, like you said, right? You had dealt with it earlier in your career, it happens. I was pissed off. Uh, I didn't think it should have happened. A lot of your players weren't happy, it it happened. Um, But life goes on, right? So life went on there and life went on there and they went to prosper and you know, I'll say it, right? I'll just say the uncomfortable shit. like I hated at that point, right, because KD wasn't there yet at that point, but I hated that. it was like, God damn, now they're so successful after my man left when he built this shit. okay? I'm a, I listen, answer it if you want. But at that point, are you still like, I got perspective and, you know, do you, can you still stay at that inner peace, or was that moment like, and all of that just like, yo, this shit is unfair. Now this is unfair. Did you feel that at all?
1: No, not the way you just put
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to hype you up. I tried to yeah, hype you up.
1: I, I say this. In, in, my, in my life, you know, you give me credit and I appreciate it. And not just as a coach, but as a basketball player, as a as a father, as a husband, whatever it is, I haven't been perfect. I've made mistakes. Um, that's part of living. Um, so when you when you when you ask about the Warriors, we made the playoffs one time in 19 years, or they did prior to me getting there. You then go from a team in a, in a, a lockout-shortened season, winning 23 games, to now a team that all of a sudden wins 48, I believe, and is a playoff team, and then the next year, the third year, wins 51 and is a playoff team. I didn't do that. We did it. Ownership, management my coaching staff, the most importantly, without a doubt, the players buying in and uh, being committed. We did that. So when you you talk about making that jump, it's a collective thing, guys buying in and instilling and inspiring and and accepting challenges and understanding the sacrifices that got to be made. We did that. I'm proud of it, and nothing no one can say or do Will, will change my feelings about that. I got friends and relationships uh, that will last a lifetime because of my time there. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly blessed to have had that opportunity. Now, when you do things as a believer, it doesn't mean it's always going to work out. And sometimes you, you're going to be used in ways that you don't want to be used. In. So did the human side of me think, man, this is messed up. I got fired. How did I get fired when I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and I'm trying to live right and I'm trying to instill and and motivate and, and inspire and all those things. I got fired. The human side of me certainly feels some of that. But as you mature as a believer in life, the objective is for the spiritual side to be stronger than the human side. So my spirit man checks my flesh man and says, are you kidding me? It's not about you. It's not about you. It's it's about a bigger purpose, a bigger call on your life. And at the end of the day, I believe when the Bible says that if you do what you're supposed to do, I will. God says, I will not withhold any good thing from you. So if, if I don't have it today, and I'm not just talking about the Warriors head coaching job. I'm talking about anything in life. If I don't have it today and I truly believe I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing, he says, I will not withhold any good thing from you. So I believe that if I don't have it today, then it ain't good for me. Ultimately, when I'm in line with what I'm supposed to be doing, I'm at total peace and believing that what's mine is supposed to be mine and there's no hate involved. So while, while, while others can be frustrated, upset, and there may have been a time when I would have tripped wild out and let you know my feelings, but that time ain't today. That time hasn't has been when it, when, it, when it occurred. I'm a much more mature, understanding person That understands the call of my life and and, and where I'm supposed to be. The only place I don't want to be in life is outside of the will of God. That's the only place I don't want to be.
0: I'll tell you right now, I don't see how any human being in the world wouldn't want to be led by you and inspired by you, bro.
1: Thank you.
0: I'm going to use a business analogy, right? So, like, I had a situation in my career. I, you know, worked at organizations and at companies. When you leave, you think certain things, certain people think certain things. Then time goes on and you start to look at both sides and you start going, all right, well, I guess I could have done or I guess something like this. Right. So I don't want to do that with this situation. But I will say that, like, in my time there, I saw an organization that ran like a Fortune 500 company. They're incredibly impressive. They have incredibly impressive people from ownership down. Um, but you know, again, I didn't deal with them the way you did. Um, that being said, do you think now looking back on it, like, all right, cool. It is what it is, not personal, just from a business perspective. If that was a business and I'm onto my new business, what could I have done better? Do you think there's some things that like, all right, cool, I understand. To play the whole game, I could have done X, Y, Z, and don't tell me what it is, but just tell me this: Do you under, do you see that now from that
1: experience? I see it in every experience in life. Um, I'm not full of myself. I believe, like I said to you a minute ago, um, I don't believe I've been perfect in in any uh, uh, role in my life. So when I look back as head coach of the Golden State Warriors for three years. Do I say I could have done something different? The answer is absolutely right. Uh, yes, no question. I could have. I could have done certain things better. I could have. I, I could have done certain things as a as a coach, as a friend, as a business partner, as an employer, uh, uh, so as an employee. I, that without a doubt, uh, uh, I look at it and say I could have been better, and and it makes me much more equipped, better prepared to. Uh, to be prepared for the for the next role that I have to fill, fulfill in life. So without a doubt, I look at it as an announcer. Can I do things better today? Absolutely. I, I, I'm not growing and de- developing and maturing if, I, if I'm not in a role uh, analyzing it and saying, how can I be better? Every single day I wake up and, and that's my mindset. So yes, yes is the answer and emphatic yes.
0: Okay. So anybody that knows you knows that's the man you are, that your character is of somebody that truly thinks and feels that way. And I've never met anybody that hasn't met you personally, forgetting the fan of side of so many people that says that about you. So now post coaching you have, or post coaching in the warriors, you have this incredibly successful career, um, telecasting games with Jeff Van Gundy you guys have this incredible relationship the dynamic between the two of you is you know you'll be in another textbook about broadcasting because it's such a unique and timely timeless partnership Um, but the narrative around you as a coach while this is happening while you're coaching the NBA championship at the highest level year after year people are saying wild things like This man thought he could heal Steph Curry's foot by bringing him to church and praying on it. This man enforces people to go to church on their team. And it's like, say it out loud. Like, it sounds wild. People know that shit is not true. It's ridiculous. But one way or the other, that became a narrative that you had to deal with, which is just nonsense and a narrative that, like, you can't work with other people. Yet, here I am talking to you, and I won't, i no way could find another individual who left their job in the way you did, who could talk so rationally and so uh, thoughtfully about it. However, people say you can't get along with people. People say you can't relate to players of today. Nonsense. Like, what does that even mean? How do you deal with this? Well, not how do you deal with it? I already asked you that. The narrative right now, do you think the narrative is like straight up? Is the narrative keeping you from getting a job, in your opinion?
1: It plays a role, and it's unfortunate. Uh, all I can do is continue to live my life uh, to the point where somebody watching when I enter an arena and speak to ushers and, and 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 everybody and respectful and players and and even when I go back to Golden State, whether it's sitting you know shaking hands and talking to ownership or management before, during the game or what have you, um, so that people read the things that's being reported and then see me and say something ain't right. This don't match, you know. When you can make a statement and say, I, I, I forced folks to come to church. Are you kidding me? What, what, what sense does that make? Never in my life have I forced anybody to come to church. What I like to do is be a light. So therefore, you can look at me and say, man, what that dude has, I want. It has nothing to do with me. So I've never demanded or forced anybody to come to church. When you look at me and say, well, Steph Curry got healed uh, from his ankle problems and, and Mark did this, first of all, Steph Curry believes that if he goes to God in prayer, he will get healed from his ankle issues. Scratch what I think. Steph Curry himself believes that. So therefore, if it did happen or didn't happen, at the end of the day, he's healed. And I thank God that he's healed and, and, and he and he's, he's went on to become one of the truly great players in the history of this game. A superstar and a class act. Um, so just the stories that you sit back and you hear and you, you wonder where, where did it come from? But it, because I'm not a guy that's sitting here giving you uh, a whole article and I'm not connected and therefore my part of the story is not being told, but I'm not going to sit here and debate and argue point for point of what's been said. Believe me, uh, uh, it's not true. And I take pride in who I am. And I think at the end of the day, when you look and say, well, this dude, you know, ain't tripping, ain't wilding, ain't, ain't acting a fool, ain't taking shots at, at, at anybody and I got a microphone. Think about how awesome God is that I got fired and within less than 24 hours, I had a, 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 the number one job in announcing in, in professional basketball, calling the NBA Finals for a group of people that had me before the Warriors knew me. So they know what type of person I am. So at the end of the day, you don't have to sit there and argue about it. Just keep on living your life and, and people, people will see ultimately that something just ain't right. I take pride in who I am, and, and I take pride in, in impacting lives and, 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 and being, being a leader. You know, one guy, one guy um, who I one, – one reporter, historically, that I have as much respect for anybody that I've ever had as far as a reporter is a guy that I didn't speak to for years in Peter Vest, this, this guy is ruthless as a writer and a reporter, and he takes shots at everybody. And there was a point in time where he said some things about me that I didn't really respect, and I thought he was out of line. And when he realized that what he said wasn't true, he doubled back and cleaned it up. Therefore, the the, the slate is clean. I got no issues with him because he was doing his job, and once he realized that it wasn't true, he cleaned it up. So he could write something negative about me today. If he said, I'm not a good coach, I have no problem with him. We're not going to not speak because of that. If he said, I'm not a good announcer, but when you blatantly lie, then you mess up your street cred and where I'm from, we can't have a relationship. I got more respect for the folks that even though if, if we got a relationship, either don't tell the story or tell the story the way it is. Don't cover it up by telling the story and, and taking care of your own people. That that just don't work.
0: Yep. No, I and listen, and the truth is is that like the idea that people in front offices are listening to it and you don't have to say they are, I can say it, and not that they've said it to me directly, but I just know that that's fact. Because if you ask players that have played basketball, if you ask coaches in the league, if you ask people that love and know hoop, why would anyone in their right mind say that somebody that played at the highest level for 17 years playing point guard with some of the biggest superstars in the world, and then call the game with a fellow coach who acknowledges that you know the game at the same exact level that he gets credited for knowing that you wouldn't know the game or you can't relate to players today and that some nonsense narrative can affect that when honestly phil jackson made people read shit was called the zen master people do this all the time and you know and you for whatever you did or didn't do was nothing abnormal was nothing that teams don't have they have chapel every single stadium, every arena. I mean, it's insane, but putting all that aside now, you're in this position and you know, you are a very successful uh broadcaster. Um I you know, you and I have talked, I think you could you could impact as many different areas of life if you wanted because you're a leader. Are you tiring at all of your pursuit of being a head coach because if you are, I won't let you. Um or are you still eager to do this? Like any day, right situation, I'm there.
1: No, I look forward to the day of, of being a head coach again. Uh, there's a, there's obviously a drive in me and a, a dream that I want I want to be a head coach again in the NBA. I also you know wouldn't mind coaching at, at, at a high level in college, but I certainly want to be a head coach again. I look forward to that day. Now, again, putting things in perspective, if I do what I'm supposed to do and I never coach again. And I believe it wasn't called or meant for me to be a head coach. But I don't believe that. And uh, I'm putting myself in position to, when the phone rings, uh, take advantage of the opportunity and show that what took place in Golden State to a perennial loser, and all of a sudden they go on to become a dynasty. Now, I didn't play part of the dynasty, but I played part in the building of the process of whatever took place. With all due respect to Steve Kerr, the incredible – guy he is, the incredible coach he is, Uh, he's done an incredible job, and he'd be the first to tell you. The one thing I realized is the one person that knows whether a guy can coach or not, or a woman or whoever, is the person that replaced that person. Because you know what you had to do. How much did I have to build? How much did I have to instill? How much did I have to tear down and build back up? Steve Kerr, to his credit, has acknowledged uh, to a certain extent the job that was done prior to him getting there. And again, that's not all me. That's my staff. That's great players. That's great ownership. That's great management. Um uh, and 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 I I I to make a long story short, I look forward to the opportunity of uh duplicating uh, uh what we were able to turn around in Golden State and and hopefully uh when that opportunity comes, I get an opportunity to finish the job also.
0: And you know what? Um I, so two things. A, I will say I, I have really always loved that Steve Kerr has You know, at least once a year, I have seen him consciously make a point over the last few years of talking about the job you did. Um, And like you said, the situation he walked into, you keep saying it wasn't all you. And I do love your humility in that. But, you know, the same reason why a head coach or anyone in a position of power gets the finger pointed at them when something goes bad is because, you know, you are responsible for everything and you had people around you that whether they liked you or didn't like you, or whether they agreed with you, were doing their job. And that's what you did as a CEO. So if an assistant coach somewhere, you know, maybe said, man, Mark was X, Y, and Z to deal with. Well, man, I've said that, I've I've heard that said about every great coach, like straight up, like there's no question that people, every single assistant coach has not said, man, Bill Belichick is just such a pure joy to work with. Wow, it's really incredible every day. Such an incredible communicator. Um, You know, I also say this, I'm not saying anybody in particular, but anybody life that you've touched on the court, in work, in broadcasting, in my opinion, they, they should be out stomping their feet for you to get a job because people do it for so many other people in this sport. And I'm watching and I'm like, yo, He's earned it, man. They say it, they talk about it, and you should have a job. Stephen A. Smith does it, right? To his credit, Stephen A. Smith is preaching. Reggie Miller, obviously, will say it. Jalen Rose will say it. Um, but there's people around the league that need to make sure that it's like, you know what, this is getting out of control. Like, Mark Jackson deserves a shot. He's given this game way too much.
1: I appreciate what you just finished saying. I think about it like, you know, whether it be Luke Connor second whether it be Pat Quigley, my high school coach that I still talk to, whether it be Rick Patino you know whoever the, whoever's impacted my life, when you talk about Rick Patino should he get another job in college basketball when he when he got fired or let go by Louisville? check what I said without a doubt i can't I can't sit back and watch somebody kill this man that has played a role in me being the person to the player and, the, and, and, and and have the career that I've had um, I gotta be his voice, even if he speaks or not. I can't sit back and you, have you question who he is as a coach or a man. Now, did he make mistakes? I'd be the first to tell you, yeah. But there's no question about the genius of Rick Pitino as a basketball mind and a basketball coach. And, and, and it would have been a crime. Uh, I would have been sad had he not had the opportunity, knowing how much of an impact he played on my life and so many around me. So I take I take pride and I appreciate the comments that you made. And I think it's important for people to uh, if you if you don't speak, if I don't speak out against that, I'm basically putting a stamp on what you're saying is true. And it's a crime if I know it's not true and let you slide with it. That's not where I'm from. It's not It's more important for me to speak the truth than to chill and make sure my base is covered and, and, and everything is all right in my camp. I, I'd rather tell you how I feel and what I know to be the truth and, and let it let it live that, as that.
0: Yeah, and you know what? I've never worked a day with you in my life, and when I realized I had an opportunity to at least get a seat at the table to say how I feel, nobody's listening to me clearly. But you know damn well that I made that a responsibility of mine, and I, and I'm with you, right? And G knows this about me. And I mean, he knows this about the environment that we have at work. Like you, either somebody that wants to put people in positions to win and push, and you know, and and speak up on what you believe. And I think that. Um, you know, I actually hope this interview, uh, people can understand and listen to what we both just talked about is like, man, that's, that's an important thing for all of us to think about right now, not just in head coaching positions, but just around us, like that level of just like, just like tension and, and volatility, as opposed to just being on the side of right and pushing for positivity and, you know, I do think that your day is coming. I think you're going to be an incredibly successful head coach. And what I told you, which is that, like, the window's closing now. Because one day, one day I'm running a basketball team, and one day we're running a basketball team and owning a basketball team. Um, <laughs> did you come up with the Splash Brothers nickname? I never even. No, you didn't come no, up with it.
1: There's a, I guess there's a fan in the area that came up with it, and then the team ran with it. I mean, it's a great, great nickname. And deservedly so for those guys, but I did not. I had nothing to do with that nickname.
0: But you did say. I remember you said they were the two greatest shooters of all time, and it was spot on. Like it's crazy. That was like nine years ago, right?
1: I, I said that they're, they're the greatest shooting backcourt in the history of the game, and it's not even close. Um, and I, I know I get credit for it. And to me, it was it what as as a basketball historian, it wasn't even a a, a hard thing to say. It, you know, when I thought about it, I'm like, it's not even close. Like, who's second? And, and, I'm, and I'm sitting there as a basketball historian, and to me, when you say who's second, I, 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 w- I would probably go with two guys that had a great field goal shooting percentage uh, and, and also uh, three-point shooting. That would be Stockton and Hornacek. But they're not close, with all due respect. Two great players. Uh, but when you talk about shooters, and some people say, well, Jerry West and Gail Givert, it's not even close. Two great players, two Hall of Famers. But when you talk – Klay Thompson and Steph Curry can go in the room with the greatest shooters that's ever picked up a basketball. When you say, okay, let's pick five guys or let's pick ten guys, those two dudes are in there. It's not even close that they are the greatest shooting backcourt in the history of this game. And, and, and I said it, and it was easy. And then not only that, they're two great competitors and two Hall of Fame players that I'm proud to have, have had the opportunity to coach.
0: Reggie Miller, I want to ask you a question about him. Um, his stats were great, but it wasn't about his stats. They weren't, like, off the charts. He had years where he averaged 18, 17, 19. He obviously has, like, some of the more iconic moments at the end of games and is one of the most, if not the most clutch athlete that we saw, like, over the last 20, 30 years. Was he um, more than that? Was he more special than people give him credit for? Is he a exceptional, like, two-way shooting guard that should be mentioned higher up in conversations
1: well i don't know what the people are saying but without a doubt he's he's in the conversation to me there's red air when you're talking about mike and kobe shooting guards in the history of this game uh but reggie miller was i mean he's family to me and he's a guy that i watched standing alongside of him in the biggest moments the lights got brighter and he got better he embraced uh, the idea of being the villain, and um, he was he was he was an incredible competitor, an incredible worker. He's a Hall of Famer, obviously. But when you talk about shooting guards in the history of this game, like I said, there's Mike, there's Kobe, Dwayne Wade is obviously special, uh, but Reggie Miller is in the discussion with, with 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 the group of two guards in the history of this game, and. Uh, I'm taking them on my team outside of those those first two guys with all due respect uh, because of – I just know. I mean, I, I watched him switch from the dude getting off the bus to the dude with his uniform on and committed with uh, being the baddest dude in the building and and did not disappoint. To the point – to make a quick story, after I was done playing, the Nets were playing the Pacers in, in the playoffs, and – I forgot which game it was, but it was this uh, one of the deciding games, and the pacers was down two or three. The Nets had the ball, and I'm with my sons, and I'm like, it's it's seconds left. I'm like, yo, come on, man, let's let's beat this traffic. I start walking out before I got to the top of the where the curtain is, the paces that stole the ball and Reggie Miller, he's the three-point shot. Yes. And I'm sitting there like, Yeah, it was a reminder to me, yo. Again, Shakespeare said, "There's sermons and stones." It's a reminder to me when I think about, okay, will I coach again? Is everything gonna work out well? Well, I had been with this dude. I had witnessed this dude to not not call it game when I thought it was game, and it was almost like God saying to me, "Yo, you you know I got you. You've seen <laughs> what I've done with a seven year old dude that was has scored one point. You saw what I do when, when you saw what I did when when people questioned your ability, and it was like God was showing me." I witnessed Reggie Miller with eight seconds to go in Madison Square Garden. How dare me walk out on him? So, <laughs> so so, they wind up winning the game and moving on, and it's the same situation in life that I, I look at now. I, I don't care what the people say. I don't care what the narrative is. I'm not giving up on my dream and, and, and my vision of, of one day uh, wearing a suit and tie again and leading a team because he's been too good to me, and i witnessed him take me from places where it seemed like I was down to with seconds left or down three or ten it doesn't matter victory is on the way
0: man straight up gianni do you see what i'm saying
1: yes sir <laughs>
0: this man is special bro uh mark i appreciate this let's man wow we're gonna have to dive into you know now that we got deep into this whole career arc i'm now <laughs> off the record gonna have to talk to you about little moments throughout your career like little times where i think you know you i told van gundy a bunch of times he doesn't play he didn't play you enough in the fourth quarter but <laughs>
1: we know that i've told him too
0: <laughs> i know we'll leave that for the heads man we'll leave that for the heads well listen man if you came onto this pod to learn about business this helped you in business this helped you in life and if you came on as a sports fan um you know what i know that this man should have a job so mark thank you so much i will speak to you soon
1: thanks man appreciate all the love